resolutions for 2019? One of you. The rest of you gave up like what, five years ago? You resolved not to make any resolutions? You know, researchers say that about 60% of people in America make resolutions. Of those 60%, 8% actually achieve them. So we know it's rough. When we start a new year, we have great aspirations and great hopes. It's going to be a great time to make a lot of changes. And I know it's hard to change, isn't it? This year, uh, Inc.com did a research on New Year's resolutions for 2019. And they gave the top 10 based on a survey of 2,000 people. Guess what was number one? Diet or eat healthier, right? That's pretty much there. What's number two? Exercise more. Number three, lose weight. Those are kind of the top three. Uh, number four was save more and spend less. I think that might be weight. Save more weight and spend less weight. Uh, I think it's probably about money. Learn a new skill or a hobby was 26% of the, those pulled. Quit smoking, 21%. Read more, 17%. Find another job, 16%. Drink less alcohol was 15%. And spend more time with family and friends, 13%. I found it interesting when I looked at these resolutions how self-oriented they are. Number 10, finally somebody else comes into the picture. Oh, yeah, I probably ought to spend time with my family and friends since I'm going to spend so many hours losing weight and reading and being healthier and all those kinds of things. I I think as we look at a list like this, it, it becomes glaringly obvious pretty quickly that something is missing. You know... I'm sure that among those 2,000 people polled, there were spiritual people. I mean, they could have been Buddhist or Islamic or whatever, but nobody mentioned anything in the top 10, at least, about spirituality. And I think that's something that maybe even each one of us in the room might recognize as we were making our own list, the one of you that made a resolution, um, made resolutions for this year. You know, have we factored in our spiritual growth, or are we just going to go to another year doing the same thing and getting the same results. But if I was to poll most of you, you would probably say you're not super content with where you are in your spiritual journey. But if you're going to do the same thing this year you did last year, guess what? You're not going to go anywhere. And so as I was looking at this new year, I thought, you know, what a great opportunity for us to go back and renew the priorities that we need to be doing as followers of Jesus to help us in the new year. So this new series resolution, the whole idea behind it is to develop renewed focus and renewed priority on the things that actually will help us have a successful new year. Because I don't think any of you are like, yeah, I want this year to be worse than last year. I mean, not many of you, if you do, um, you really need to be here today uh, as we begin this series, because not many of us are like, yeah, I want this to be the worst year ever. But these renewed priorities are spiritual. And before you just, you know, maybe are exploring faith and not curious, don't turn me off on this, because here's the thing we all know to be true. We are spiritual as we are emotional and physical, financial. We are spiritual. And how many of you know that when you tinker with one of those areas of your life, it impacts the others, right? So, for example, if you work on the spirituality, how many of you know that that also impacts relationships, how you view your finances, how you view your body? It does. Every area impacts the other. So, one of the things I've discovered is that when we look at even the New Year's resolutions that people made, the top 10, there is something that all 10 of those have in common. 
And that is the first priority I want to talk about today. And if you're here thinking, great, I'm going to be downloaded a bunch of stuff. I've got to do this year to be a better person. That's not the point of this series, because here's what I want to talk about today. The one thing I want to talk about today is something you already do. So I'm not adding anything for you to do because you already do this, all right? In fact, you do this 25,000 to 50,000 times a day. Any guesses on what this is you're already doing 25,000 to 50,000 times a day? Your thoughts. Your thoughts. The average human brain thinks 25,000 to 50,000 thoughts a day. So yes, your husband does think. (laughs) He may have certain thought patterns that keep recurring, but yes, he does think. 25,000 to 55 or 50,000 times a day. But here's here's the bad news. 70% of your thoughts are negative. 70%. A majority of the large volume of thoughts that you have are negative. And this is why every year we struggle with things like New Year's resolutions. Because even when you're resolving to do something, you're already telling yourself you're going to fail. Because your thoughts betray you. So, today, we're going to talk about this one thing, our thinking. And really, behind every New Year's resolution... This is going to be the key. Behind whatever your resolution might be, physically, spiritually, financially, you've got to start here. And so I want to talk today about resolution number one, which is guarding my thoughts. To guard my thoughts. If you have a Bible today, you might want to grab it or a smart device. Uh, I want to always encourage you to uh, kind of be with us in the message time. And so if you have uh, if paper writing is the best for you, we've made notes available to you in the back of the bulletin. Uh, many of you got a new device maybe for the holidays, and so we encourage you to use the YouVersion Bible app. In fact, if you are using the YouVersion Bible app to read your Bible, uh, I posted on, on Facebook on my page a Bible reading plan I'm doing to read through the Bible in 2019 again, and uh, it's a great reading plan. Some of you are like, I want to find a reading plan, but I go there to plans, and um, well, join me on the journey. I'm reading through the Bible in 2019. Uh, I posted on, on Facebook, just look me up, Kelly Dufour, you'll find my, well, among all the other Kelly DeFores in the world. Hopefully you'll find me. Um, just look for the bald guy. And uh, great reading plan there. But in the version, we also put our notes. And so if you go to Menu, More, Events, you'll find Neighborhood Church if your location is turned on. Also, you can go to albanyenc.org. Our notes are available on our website. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. So it's a book about how you think, right? Proverbs 4.23 says it this way. Above all else... So that would be anything else. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, in the Hebrew language, heart wasn't this thing that pumps our blood. Heart was basically what they would call the gut of a person, okay? And that basically is where your intellect, your will, and your thoughts come from. So when we talk about the heart, especially in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, what we're talking about really is that which creates who you are, your thinking, your intellect, your will, all right? And so the proverb writer says to guard your heart. In other words, you could say it this way, guard your thoughts because everything you do flows from it. So the thoughts that we entertain in our minds become the thoughts that guide our lives, for better or for worse. 
And you know this to be true yourself. In fact, Proverbs 23, 7 says it this way in the New King James translation says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. I like the way Joyce Meyer puts it. She says this, that where the mind goes, the man follows. Where the mind goes, the man follows. And so when we put positive things into our mind, then positive things will follow. We put negative things, then then negative things will follow. And whether we like it or not, what we think influences what we do. In fact, this is something advertisers and salespeople know. Now, if you're a salesperson in the room, I'm not here to pick on you, but this is something they know. They know that if you get emotionally attached to an item or hooked on it, they know the purchase is soon to follow. I remember a time that Trisha and I were car shopping. We lived in Salem. We needed something for our growing family. Um, And so we went car shopping, drove a few cars. And the salesman told us one on one of the cars we were driving, the salesman said, you know what? I'll let you guys take this car home tonight just to drive it. You guys can think about if you want to buy it or not. You know what he was doing? He was wanting us to get emotionally attached to this vehicle. Because they know if I get you hooked on it, you start thinking about it, if your emotions feel good about it, you're gonna, buying is going to soon follow. The same thing happens in advertising. You go uh, anywhere or you watch anything on TV about advertising, it's trying to evoke an emotion or a feeling. That's why half the time you watch a commercial and go, how does that have to do with the product they're selling? They're not selling a product. They're selling an emotion that you will feel about that product. They get the idea because when our thought patterns get touched, then our actions soon follow. So just as true as this is in kind of the psychological clinical world, this is true biblically. That the things that we find ourselves thinking about become the things that we do. So here's what I know to be true. Some of you have emotions you want to change in 2019. Maybe you have an issue with depression or anger or whatever, and you have these emotions that you want to change, and so you go to things, you maybe spend lots of hours, lots of money trying to change that, or maybe it's a behavior that you have that your wife says, man, that's really annoying, and you stop doing that this year, or there's behaviors that you know get you in trouble, and so you're like, okay, I'm going to focus on changing that behavior. Here's the problem. Focusing on those, the emotion and the behavior, is missing the target for what will bring the lasting change you want in 2019. In fact, let me explain about using, by using this train. Yes, it's the Polar Express. Fresh from underneath the Christmas tree. No, this isn't my train. I had to borrow this because I don't have one quite as big as this. Um, I want you to imagine a train. Not hard to do. It's right here in front of you. Imagine the engine of that train being your thoughts because it is our thoughts that actually lead to or lead us into some other things. So we have thoughts, and those thoughts then tend to have the second car, which is our emotions. So we think ourselves generally into these. From this then flows our particular behavior, whatever it might be that we're carrying out, and then ultimately a consequence. Now, if we can get this right and figure this out, this will, this will help immensely a lot of people. Now, and this is not rocket science, right? This is not hard to understand, but a lot of us, this is where we continue to fail because we want to not experience the consequences anymore. So what do we do? We try to fix the behavior. 
I'm going to stop doing that or I'm going to start doing, I'm going to behave better, I'm going to work on my behavior, my behavior, my behavior. But the problem is you're missing the point. This isn't what's pulling your life, right? So we go, okay, then I'm going to work on those emotions because that's the problem. I deal with these emotions and that's where I got to focus. Well, yep, I'm not saying you don't. But if that's the only focus, you have to recognize you're still missing the driving part of what gets you where you're going, which is your thoughts. Now, here's what I know to be true. Most of you don't like the station your life is at right now, but your train got you there. And that train is the way you're choosing to think. Your thoughts take you where you're going. In fact, I... I'm pretty sure all of us recognize our own regrets and mistakes, right? Let me tell you, that, let me help paint the picture. You thought your way there. You don't like the regrets you're dealing with. You talked yourself into them or you thought yourself into those regrets. Because everything originates in the way we think. Now, fortunately, not every thought becomes a behavior which leads to a consequence because probably all of us would be in jail, right? I mean, if that was true, we'd probably all be in jail. Now, I understand not every thought gets acted on, but there are thought patterns that we all wrestle with, thought patterns that develop in our day of thinking 25,000 to 50,000 times. There becomes themes, and those themes dictate our emotions, which lead to our behaviors that we don't like, which bring us the consequences we hate. Problem is, we're fixing it the wrong way. We've got to start with our thoughts. In fact, Ralph Waldo Emerson, I think, said it best. He said it this way, that the ancestor of every action is a thought. The ancestor of every action. So if you don't like the action you have been doing or you don't like the consequences of that action, you've got to reverse engineer the train and figure out, oh, that's where it started. It wasn't how I'm continuing to think. That is the dilemma I'm dealing with. Not, not necessarily the rest of these. Yes, these are and have to be dealt with, but in the correct order. It's got to start here. Because what we think will determine the course of our life, much like a train will determine the course of the rest of the train and all the passengers. So here's our resolution number one as we begin this year. It's this. This year, I will guard my thoughts carefully, knowing they influence my attitudes and actions. I will guard my thoughts carefully, knowing that they will influence my attitudes and actions. When Peter was writing his letter to the Christians, his second letter, he kind of, in the introduction part still, he says this, that I'm writing this letter to you to stimulate wholesome thinking. I want you to think differently about how you live your life. Now, why would that be important to Peter? Because he's dealing with people who are new to the faith, many of them, or they have a history of how they used to think as Jewish people. And he's like, listen, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. So today's message and this series, I want to stimulate you toward wholesome or right thinking. Because... The mind is a powerful thing, right? I mean, it is. The mind is a powerful thing. The way you think is a powerful thing. So Paul also gets on this in his letter, and he writes in Philippians about the, the, the power of our thinking. In fact, all of Philippians really has to do with some aspect of thinking. He talks about how we're to think joyfully and how we're to think humbly and how we're to recognize that we're actually citizens not of this earth alone, but we're actually citizens of heaven, and that's where our thought patterns should come from. So he really deals with this thread throughout all of his letter. But in chapter 4 specifically of Philippians, 
He really brings it to a point. Now, I think it's interesting if you follow the thread of what's happening in chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, he begins by dealing with two people who were living in conflict within the church. Now, conflict never happens in the church. We all love each other. But there was a conflict in the church at Philippi between two people who were in leadership, and it was causing problems. And so Paul speaks to that about the sense and the need of, of unity and humility. And he kind of reminds the church body themselves, look, Living in community is hard. In fact, living in, in a faith community within a secular culture is hard, and life is going to be hard. You're going to face challenges, but guess what? Don't worry. You can do something with that anxiety that comes from the problems that you feel, and that is you can take that to the Lord, and that peace that passes understanding will do something. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So then he leads it up to this main point I want to look at in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where he kind of gives us, if you will, a checklist of our thinking life. And many of you maybe have used this as something to memorize to, to actually run your thought process through. And so I'll give it to you very quickly, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, I know you're thinking because you're thinking people. We all think a lot of times in a given day. So as you're thinking, here's something to begin to think about when it comes to your thinking and run it through this series of tests. Now, to be honest with you, this is hard to do. Because your thoughts come to you very quickly. In fact, every other heartbeat, if we just follow that sequence of numbers out, every other heartbeat, you have, you are, you're thinking a thought. So they come at you quickly. So I'm not going to pay attention necessarily to every single one, but I will pay attention to the patterns that develop. Where I have like a little school of thoughts that tend to group together that always tend to lead me to an emotion, to a behavior, to a consequence. That's what I want to, tell you, I want to deal with, because you know your own thought patterns. If you stop and pay attention to it, you know the things you find yourself thinking about regularly. And so you take those big grouped patterns and say, okay, first of all, is this true? How many know the number one problem we face is we lie to ourselves all the time? We lie to ourselves. All of my kids have gone through public school and... and Occasionally in public school, you know, kids aren't very nice to kids. Anybody, any other parent ever discovered that? Kids aren't nice to kids. So my daughter will come home one, one day and she'll be all upset and mad and just withdrawn. And I'll say, well, what's going on? Well, so-and-so said, and da, da, da. I said, well, okay, stop. One, is this a friend of yours? And two, is what they're saying even true? Well, no, they're not a friend. And no, it's not really true. Then stop thinking about it. Number one, is it true? If it's not, stop thinking about it. When you find group thoughts about yourself, especially thoughts about yourself that are wrong, that talk you down, stop and say, wait a second, is this even true? Then moves on from there. Number two, is it noble? Which means, is it worthy of respect? Does this honor and reflect God's purposes for me? Is this noble? Most of our thoughts that we know lead to the consequences we don't like, we could say, no, those thoughts weren't noble. 
Is it right? Which implies a sense of righteousness. It, it, it's basically like the character of Jesus when he ministered here on earth. And so I have to ask myself, is this thought I'm having right in a sense of righteousness? Not like true. Is it right? Because some of us, we know we think wrongly. In fact, if you've been in any, any kind of 12-step program, you know one of the issues you have to deal with is what? Your wrong way of thinking. Thinking errors that we all have dealt with that we've believed, that we grew up developing. And by the way, it took a long time to get there in how we think. But is it right? Is it pure? Which is the same word that comes from the root word holy. In other words, is this thought pure of defilement or immorality? I think we let a lot of thoughts stray, especially, you know, kind of induced by media that are not pure. And we got to go, wait a second. Is this leading me to be a person of integrity inside and out? Is this thought pure? Am I thinking on things that are holy and pure? Is it lovely, which means is it attractive? Is it beautiful? Is it winsome? Does it call forth kind of a response of love and warmth? Is it lovely? Is my mind filled with things that are good? Is it admirable? In other words, is it fair speaking? Is it fair speaking of me or others? Is it fair speaking of God? Would he like the thought I'm thinking? And then finally, he kind of puts a bow on the whole thing, and he says, is it excellent or praiseworthy? In other words, does it have moral excellence? Does it move you toward godly behavior? Does it move you to, to encourage others around you? Okay, so he gives us this list, and it's quite a few words, and to be honest, you could memorize this rather quickly. In fact, I, I told First Service the same thing. I said, you know what, if you spent half the time that you spend worrying and thinking and ruminating about stuff that fills your mind that causes you anxiety, if you took just half of that time and focused on one verse, you'd memorize it pretty quickly. You have time to memorize verses. Wouldn't you rather focus on memorizing something that causes you peace than that which causes you anxiety? You know, last night, I, I woke up usually like I do in the middle of the night thinking about something, worrying about something that it's totally silly to worry about it at 2 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning when you can do nothing about it. You may have had those wake-up moments where you're, you start thinking about and obsessing about something. You have no power to change it in your pajamas at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? But Donda, I mean, what if I stopped and just told myself, you know what? God's got this. There's nothing I can do about this at 2 o'clock in my pajamas. God, you're way more able to handle this than I am at this point with my brain function level where it is. So I cast my cares on you because you care about me. That's that process of taking what that is and plugging something else in. And it's a discipline, and it's going to take some time, but it's well worth it. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, get your thoughts right, and then your emotions, your behaviors, and your consequences of peace will follow. I know that you want a peaceful 2019. Now, I'm not talking about like world peace. I mean, we'd all love that. I'm just saying, I think you want to have a sense of peace with God and peace with people around you and peace with yourself, right? So how do we do that? We do what Paul says. In fact, if you go back to verse 7 of Philippians 4, he says this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that means all those mental faculties, this peace transcends all of that. That will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, right where we needed to be guarded in the way that we think, the way that we process. Peace can dwell there rather than fear and anxiety. But the problem is we have 
a habit of how we think. We have a habit. In fact, all of us are creatures of habit, aren't we? You get up generally about the same time in the morning, usually, because if, if you're like me at all, your biological clock goes off and you got to get up. Or at night, you tend to go to bed around the same time. You go to work kind of pretty much the same way. No one has to give you instructions. You don't, hopefully don't have to enter into your GPS every day you go to work what your work address is. So Siri can tell you how to get there. You know how to get there. You don't even have to think about it, right? In fact, there are things that we do so routine that we have to stop later and ask ourselves, did I do that? For example, garage doors. How many have ever had to go back home because you were certain you left the garage door open? Only to find out it was closed. Because habitually, you closed it. Or you walk away from your You know you locked you lock the car, and then you kind of go back and go, did I lock the car? Why? Because we do things so routinely, then we stop and ask, did I? And then you got to go back and check, but you know you did because it just happens by routine. Now, here's the thing when it comes to your thoughts. You don't like this, but then you got to stop and say, did I? Did I think myself here? Yes, you did. You thought yourself here. You have a habit of, way, of the way you think. In fact, you'll notice this track is sitting, I mean, this train, I gave away the answer already. The train is sitting on something, and it's called a track. And the train is going to go where the track is, right? We have, in our pattern of thinking, created tracks in our mind. And you go down those tracks every day. You see those same things to yourself. You think those same things about other people, and it happens every day. You got a track. And you're following it. And it's hard to change tracks. You ever driven in a highway that was beat down with ruts from big semi-trucks, right? And your car doesn't quite fit inside the ruts? What do you, what do, you do besides get your kids car sick? I mean, you're, just, you're always battling the rut. That's what we're going to have in front of us in 2019. There's going to be a way you think, pattern of thinking that you've created over years. And it's not going to be done like this. Oh, thank you, Kelly. I'm going to start thinking so differently now when I leave church today. No, you're not, because your train's going to go back on the same track you've created for years. And it's not until you deal with the track of how you think that this is going to get you where you want to go. So Philippians 4 helps us. But there are ways we need to guard my thoughts, and we're going to end with this, and I'll give them to you very quickly. First of all, guard your thoughts about God. You know what? A lot of us don't think correctly about God. You've got an unbiblical view of who God is. And the problem is that view of God determines what you believe about God. So how do we change the way we think about? Well, first of all, do you think about God? I mean, uh, probably we ought to start there. You know, besides Sunday where you hear God spoken frequently, do you think about God? Because there's actually, you know, there's a psalm. 10 verse 4 says this, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. So when you think about your week, you had last week, and you, you think about your 25,000 to 50,000, it's a lot of thoughts. Did you make room for God in any of those? Because the psalm says this is what wicked men do. They don't seek him, and they don't have room in their thoughts for him. So what are your thoughts when you think about God? Are they true? 
are they not? Go through the checklist because maybe they're not. Maybe you're believing in some kind of God who really doesn't exist because that God is not the true God. Some of you grew up maybe in a religious system or in a home where God was bent one way toward you and it's an inaccurate view of who God is. Well, how do you correct it? You read the Bible with an open heart and an open mind to begin to see who God is, especially through the expression of his son, Jesus. Number two, guard your thoughts about yourself. Guard your thoughts. I mean, I know it sounds so unspiritual to think about yourself because I'm supposed to think about other people, right? Yeah, but you got to start here. There are times we're told to think about ourselves, right? What did David pray? Search me, O God, and know my heart. In fact, he says, search me, O God, and know my anxious heart. And so he, he asks God to do exactly this, to take a look inside. we got to do that because that's where we begin to discover things about ourselves that are not right. We can bring into submission to God and begin to guard the way we actually think about ourselves because some of you lie to yourself daily about who you are. The psalmist in, in Psalm 139, he says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. In other words, God thinks about you. I love Zephaniah uh, chapter 3, verse 17. I know you've all just dying to read Zephaniah. Um, but listen to what the prophet says. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Does your view of God, of how he views you, allow you to view a God who's a mighty warrior yet sings? over you? Occasionally, I'll sing to my kids in the morning. They, they hate it, probably. But it's a sign. I, I'm, I love my kids. They bring a good sense of joy to my heart. I sing over them. That's probably a song I make up, and nobody cares to hear it recorded again. But that's God over you. He sings over you. Quit lying to yourself about a loser and how worthless you are. Because that is not the God that I serve and how he views you and me. So guard how you think about yourself. Number three, guard your thoughts about others. How does God look at people? In 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel learns a really big, really big thing from God. Remember the story? He's going to find the next king of Israel because Saul has been a disappointment to God. And so he's sent to this home in Bethlehem. And there was all these young men brought before him that looked like they could be kings, strong and tall and beautiful men, handsome men. But one was missing. And the prophet was reminded by God, look, I don't look the way you look at people. I look at the heart. You look at the outward appearance. The problem we have in America today is we judge everybody by their outward appearance only, by their status, by their possessions. What would happen if instead you began at the heart? What's that person like at a heart level? They need God. They need love. They need somebody that cares about them. What if we, what if we begin to think about others that way? How would it change your day tomorrow at work or your day at home with, with your family or at school? How would that change? Begin to look at others the way that God looks at us. Guard your thoughts about life. Life is not about acquiring and impressing and using and, and hoarding and exploiting. That's not what life is about. But that's what we've made the American life all about. I, I think we need to remember what Jesus said. I've come that you might have life 
have it more abundantly, but then he gives us a qualification. He says, if you really want to live, you die to yourself daily. That doesn't make any sense. That's like so contrary to the world standard of living. Yeah, it is. But when you live this way, that is truly the abundant life I want you to live. We've got to look at our life differently. Think about our life differently. Also, number five, guard your thoughts about the future. Some of you are fearful of 2019. Can you imagine living life without fear and anxiety? Without stress? Without worrying about what tomorrow's going to bring? We can actually live that way as followers of Jesus. You know why? Because the Bible gives us several passages where God has a plan and a purpose that will prevail. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know you guys love this verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you. Well, this doesn't feel very prosperous. I know, but they're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Matthew 6, 33. Don't worry about tomorrow. That's kind of before 6.33. But then he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all the stuff you're worried about, Kelly, will be added unto you as well. They'll be worked out. This is the God that we serve, the God who knows you tomorrow and next month and next year and everything. I can live in a confidence that he knows that I can view my future differently, not with anxiety, but with faith. That doesn't mean it's going to be a, a year without pain. Some of you might be in pain right now, and you might face challenges this coming year. But guess what? You don't face it alone. I have promises that God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. For I am with you always to the ends of the age. So guard your thoughts about the future, but also guard your thoughts about the past. Too many of you in this room, and you deal with this, your past still hijacks your future. And you're still captive to your past. Can I remind you, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We're forgiven, the psalmist says, and it's as though God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. I like what Paul says. He says, forgetting what is behind, because Paul has some things to forget. He led the charge of killing Christians. He's got some things he wants to sweep under the rug, right? And then you got to know those still haunted him. But he says, forgetting what was behind, I press on toward the goal. I press on. Many of us have got the cut ties to our past because it keeps playing over in your mind because you're so hung up on your failures. Listen, God is not hung up on your failures, but he has got his hand in your future. And that's what you've got to pay attention to. So think differently about your past. Number seven, guard your thoughts about your challenges. Too many of us, we think wrong when we're going through challenges. We think God's out to get us or we've somehow displeased God or something's going on that I've earned this. And so we look at our challenges with the wrong perspective rather than saying, okay, God, I know challenges in life are going to happen. What can I do to move closer to you in the midst of this challenge? How can I change this perspective? That I'm not going to define you based on my challenge, but I'm going to let you and me redefine my challenge. So how do I do that, Lord? Show me. Let me think differently about what I'm going through. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in James, his opening letter, James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Okay, Dr. Phil, that sounds great. No, he knows what he's saying. He says, consider it joy. And he's talking to a church that is being not just challenged, like it's really hard to be a Christian. I mean, they are being persecuted for their faith. 
They're going through extreme poverty, many of them. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials because you know the testing of your faith does something. It produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Maybe God is maturing you through your circumstances. You've got to learn how to think about it differently. So what's our resolution number one? This year, I will guard my thoughts carefully, knowing they influence my attitudes and my actions. But it's not going to happen overnight. It took you almost a lifetime to think the way you're thinking right now. So it's going to take some time. But here's my challenge to you. Can you begin, not necessarily journaling your thoughts, but something like that, where you really are giving thought to your thoughts? And say, okay, Lord, here's some thought patterns, groupings that I see happen regularly. And it shouldn't be too hard to figure out because this is a constant reminder, <laughs> all right? So reverse engineer the train and say, okay, what got me here? My thoughts did. Lord, how can I go back to the origin of this? Maybe you have issues with sexual Im- immorality, but you know it starts here. So you got to correct this. Lord, is this pure? What I'm thinking? No. Maybe you're spending money very foolishly and you're in debt and there's terrible consequences for that, but it starts here. What motivated your purchases? How you think? See, we got to start where the train starts and the rest of the train will follow. But it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time, just like all new habits do. They take time. It takes discipline. 8% of people, only, only 8%, make the resolution goal. Why? It's right here. But that takes work, doesn't it? I want you to have a different 2019 than what 2018 delivered you, especially spiritually. And I think you do too, but here's what. It's got to happen right here in how we think. And how we feed our thoughts. Some of you know you got to stop some things that are feeding your thoughts in ways that are not wholesome. Through entertainment or media, whatever it might be. You know it's going to be difficult. But watch for the grouping of thoughts and begin to apply Philippians 4.8 to it. And the Lord will begin to reveal to you some things. And you know what? The good news is you can put new thoughts here. That's what, what Paul talks about in taking thoughts captive. You can put new thoughts here. Rather than feeling defeated, you know what? I am more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I'm an overcomer. God lavishes his love on me that I would be called a child of God. God loves me with an everlasting love. So Lord, Help us to examine our thoughts. You told us through the psalmist to guard our heart because everything flows from there. Well, that is so true for all of us. And I know there are people in this room who desperately want to change, but they can't change behavior or emotion or consequences without going to the source, which is how they have thought themselves to that point. So God, I pray for each one of us. It's going to take discipline, but you'll give us the strength. It's going to take maybe just some grueling days to rethink, to rebrand the way we think over our old thought ruts and patterns that we have. 
But God, help us to be diligent because that brings the change. So Lord, help us. Thank you that we don't do it alone. You're with us. The Holy Spirit is there to empower us to think differently. I thank you for what Paul tells us in Romans, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we don't do it alone. Thank you for that. This isn't some self-help, do-better program. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present in our life. And you'll bring to remembrance these things that we have heard tomorrow. When the ruts call us back to our proper location, may you remind us we can think differently, that we can guard our minds, guard our thoughts, knowing that they influence our attitudes and actions. Pray this today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.